At our last church, I served in a variety of roles, and in one of those roles, I functioned like a teaching pastor. This meant that I would periodically preach, and I would regularly teach adult classes and small groups and lead seminars and workshops. Something rather interesting happened. The longer that I was in that role, the more I became convinced that I was the Bible answer man. I became convinced that my view of God and the Bible and the spiritual life was the correct one. And that attitude played out in some pretty inappropriate ways. And one common way was this, on almost every Sunday on the drive home from church, I would spend that time critiquing what our preaching minister had said that day. And I would point out to my family where he was right and where he was wrong, as if my view was the benchmark for evaluating truth. And that behavior is called arrogance. It's called self-righteousness. I was being judgmental, and I was serving as a horrible example to my family. And I got a wake-up call when one of my children graciously pointed out to me what I was doing. And so I had to humble myself and apologize and begin to make some changes in my attitude and my behavior. And that experience reminds me how easy it is for any of us to be critical of others. When we believe that we're right and someone else is wrong, when we see people make mistakes, oh, it becomes so easy to set ourselves up as the judge and the jury. It's an ongoing problem with human nature. And it was a particularly bad problem in first century Israel. The entire Jewish religious system had evolved and had become overly focused on righteousness through rules. And it led to a lifestyle of judging others when they fell short of judging people when they didn't follow all the right rules and all the right ways all the time. And so as Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount, he tackles this issue. And he says, don't judge. And that was great advice for the crowd that was listening to him preach. This group of people that had followed him up the mountainside to hear and learn how to get closer to God. What Jesus has to say was great advice for them and it's great advice for us. So let's see what we can learn from Jesus starting in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. He jumps right in and says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. One of the things that's been interesting to me as we work our way through this sermon is the variety of topics that Jesus addresses. He covers a huge amount of territory in this sermon, and the glue that holds it all together is righteousness and relationships. 
Jesus wants people to understand what it means to be in a right relationship with God and with other people. And he continues developing that theme in this part of the message and he applies it to a specific part of life. He is urging us to exercise good judgment in our relationships and he does so by highlighting this very human tendency. It's a critical problem and it's the problem of being critical. And he points out two things here in his opening comments. First, he says, God is going to judge us with the same standard we use to judge others. So we need to be careful. And second, he says, before we react judgmentally to the behavior of another person, we should take a moment to reflect. And wise reflection involves some self-examination. And Jesus explains this with a distinctive metaphor here about debris in our eyes. Now, we all understand that the eye is one of the most sensitive parts of the human body. I experienced this just the other day. I was cutting some wood, and I got a little speck of sawdust in my left eye, and man, did that hurt. And it was just a little speck. If we were actually walking around with a plank in our eye, as Jesus says here, we'd be in agony. We'd be writhing in pain. We wouldn't be able to ignore it. And yet, isn't it interesting how we so easily ignore our own shortcomings? I think Jesus is telling us that we need to train ourselves to engage in some self-reflection. We need to train ourselves because it doesn't come naturally. And when we see someone else's fault... We need to do some self-reflection before we ever think about talking with them. And when it comes time to do some self-reflection, in my experience, people fall into one of two broad groups at the extremes. So here's what happens is some people are so, uh, so caught up with their own uh, perfection, they think so highly of themselves that they don't do any self-reflection. They know that they're good people, so they don't need to engage in any analysis. There's also people who are, I think, afraid of what they're going to find if they look within. And so people in that group don't do much self-examination. Any self-analysis is shallow and cursory. And the problem is those people miss the planks in their own lives, but they are so quick to see that little speck in the life of another person. And the second group consists of people who engage in perpetual self-examination and beat themselves up. And so they not only see the planks in their own life, they see the stumps and the twigs and the leaves and the dust and every other piece of debris. And they drag themselves down by feeling perpetually bad. They consider themselves unimportant and incompetent and useless. And both of these approaches, shallow self-examination or obsessive self-examination, are very harmful to our spiritual well-being. In both cases, we fail to help ourselves and we fail to help others. And that's why we need God's help when it's time to reflect and look within. 
I think King David said it the best in Psalm 139 when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to look at ourselves wisely. We need to do so in a balanced way. And we're going to do that best when we ask God to help us. Jesus wants us to reflect because He knows it will change our attitudes and our actions. We'll shift our focus and we'll start to understand that we cannot jump on other people when we have unresolved issues in our own lives. I think of a couple of practical examples. If I'm a greedy and selfish person with my money, if that typifies my life, then why should I think that I have the right to confront you if you tell a minor fib? Or if I'm the kind of person who easily flies off the handle because I have a bad temper, then why should I confront you if you happen to misspeak, accidentally say the wrong thing and hurt my feelings? That's the idea behind what Jesus is talking about. We find it so easy to gloss over our big issues. Those are the planks. And we zero in on the minor issues, the sawdust that we see in others. Jesus says, stop, reflect. And when we do, we're less likely to say to someone else, you're an idiot. And we're more likely to say, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And so Jesus says, reflect before you correct. And then once we've done that, once we've followed his advice and engaged in some self-reflection, then he explains how to wisely respond to the shortcomings that we may find in other people. We see that in verse 5. Where he says, you hypocrite. That's a gentle criticism. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear them to pieces. So once we've analyzed a situation, and we realize that another person might be in error, they might need some help, how do we respond in a way that is less critical, less judgmental, and more gracious? Jesus here in verses 5 and 6 spells out two different approaches. And the first one in verse 5 shows us how to respond to people within the community of faith. The second in verse 6 shows us how to respond to people who are far from God. And in both cases, Jesus is not telling us to blindly ignore the faults and mistakes of other people. He's telling us how to respond to those people with some wisdom. And first, we can't hypocritically pretend that we're faultless. Instead, Jesus says, deal with your stuff. And that's going to be good for two reasons. Number one, it will help us clean up some debris in our own lives. 
But number two, that cleanup process is going to change our perspective. It's going to give us better insights into the problems of sin and struggle and temptation. It will highlight for us the process of forgiveness and renewal and getting a fresh start from God. And as we go through that process, and then we come to someone else, we are so less likely to approach them as if we're spiritual giants. We're not going to talk down to them. Instead, we will approach people as a fellow struggler, which is who we are. And Jesus wants us to understand that when we address our own issues... It's like the scales fall from our eyes. We're able to see more clearly, and then we're going to be able to exercise good judgment about how to help a brother or sister in the faith overcome whatever it is they're struggling with. That's verse 5. So far, so good. And then we get to verse 6. What a horribly uncomfortable verse. Jesus calls people dogs and pigs. Really? That sounds a little judgmental. He's using metaphors for immoral and godly people, and I think it's natural to ask, how can he describe them that way when he just told us not to be judgmental? Well, let's camp on this for a little bit and see if we can figure it out. First of all, based on all of Jesus' teaching. I don't believe that he thinks any person actually is a dog or a pig. He's using language that is very familiar to his Jewish audience, using these metaphors to describe a specific kind of people. People who are A, outside the community of faith, B, are not interested in the things of God, and C, who are likely to respond unfavorably and even with hostility to the things of God. And the fact is, sometimes people like that will respond to God with the behavior of a pig or a dog. Jesus wants us to respond to the people around us. But he wants us to see that there's a difference between how we help someone who is far from God and how we help someone who's part of God's family. You see, helping someone who's a brother or sister in the faith, which is what Jesus was talking about in verses 3, 4, and 5, that's pretty unique. When we share our faith in Christ with someone, there's a different kind of relationship and a different kind of bond. And helping someone like that requires some honesty, it requires some vulnerability, and most importantly, it requires a shared set of values based on God's truth. However, Helping someone outside the community of faith is different because they do not share our core values. And some of them will not respond kindly or graciously to God's truth. To exercise good judgment in those kinds of relationships means that we don't offer godly advice and godly help to people who aren't interested in hearing it. Because not everyone is. And so when God gives us pearls of biblical truth, pearls of biblical wisdom, we share them with each other. We use them to encourage each other in the life of faith. But then we need to exercise some discernment and be careful about how we share 
those same kinds of pearls with people who are far from God. For example, when a Christian writes a letter to the editor of the Register Guard and starts quoting Scripture, or when a believer participates in an online general discussion group about some social problem and they quote Scripture, is that really the best thing to do? Now, that Christian is well-intentioned. They have a pearl of wisdom from God that they want to share to try and help bring some light to the issue, to try and help solve some problems. But why should we quote Scripture to a group of people when we know that many in that group have no regard whatsoever for the Bible? In fact, many of them despise the Bible. I don't think it's wise to use a source that people do not respect or trust or believe in. And this doesn't mean we give up on people. It doesn't mean we give up on our society and our culture because very early in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his followers to be salt and light in the world and represent him well. And so we don't ignore the problems around us, but we also don't present pearls of godly wisdom to people who are not interested in hearing them. We need to adopt a different approach. Here's how a friend of mine tackled this issue and tried to apply this teaching from Jesus in his own life. Gary was a college professor for many years before he retired. And at the time that he was active in academia, the issue of abortion was becoming a real hot topic on college campuses. And he often was invited to engage in debates or be part of panel discussions about this issue. And everyone knew that Gary was there as the token Christian. But in his comments, he never quoted scripture and he never mentioned God. And he did that deliberately because he knew that the minute he did, most of his audience would tune him out. And instead, he made his case for the sanctity of life based on terms the audience could accept and understand. And so he talked about the physical and emotional health of the mother. He talked about the medical and scientific reality about what goes on inside the womb of a woman. He talked about the ethics of life and death. He was trying to be salt and light by being willing to address an issue of great moral significance. And he was presenting values that reflected the values of the kingdom of God. But he did so without wasting pearls of godly wisdom on a largely ungodly audience. And then, from time to time, someone in the audience would become curious about God because of the way that Gary conducted himself. And they'd want to learn more. And so they'd approach him after the event And it was then, when someone had identified themselves as spiritually curious, as a spiritual seeker, that Gary could build a relationship with that individual. And it was in those relationships when he then could begin to share pearls of godly wisdom. So I think Gary was responding wisely to the advice of Jesus. And as a result, he was able to respond wisely to people that he encountered outside the community of faith. I love how he did that. And so I find myself asking, what should that look like in my life? What might that look like in your life? How do we 
put Jesus' advice into practice as we try and come alongside and help people who are very far from God, who may not value the things of God. Jesus wants wise reflection and wise responses to guide all of our relationships with other people, both inside and outside the community of faith. And having talked about how we do that with other people, he now takes those same principles and he says he wants those principles to guide our relationship with God. Let's look at verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, this particular passage often is quoted out of context. And we need to recognize that it's the culmination of everything Jesus has been saying to this point on this topic. And he's offering us this advice to remind us that we're not God, which means we're not the judge. He's telling us this. Because we need to know that if we want to exercise good judgment and be less judgmental, then we're going to need God's help. And we need to have a proper understanding of who God is. And we need to learn how to make wise requests when we approach God in prayer about these things. So this is not a blanket statement that we're going to get everything we ask for when we pray. It's an encouragement to go to God and ask Him for the wisdom we need to navigate our relationships. It's an encouragement to go to God and to ask Him for His help so that we'll not be judgmental and so that we can be wise in the ways that we respond to people. And Jesus wants us to know that when we make good, wise requests in this area of life, then God will give us what we ask for. And the great thing is that we can ask God with confidence because Jesus reminds us who God is. He is not a cosmic judge who loves to punish. He is not a distant, benevolent dictator that we have to coerce into giving us what we want. He is a loving, good Father. And therefore, He will give us what we need and not what we don't need. And to reinforce this point, Jesus even states that imperfect people, even evil people, can figure out how to be good parents. And if deeply flawed human beings can figure out how to take care of their children, then God, who is perfect, certainly knows how to give you and me what we need to navigate our relationships. And as we read the advice from Jesus here about how to approach God and how to pray, I think we also get an insight into unanswered prayer. 
As Jesus says here, a loving parent will not give a stone or a snake to a child who asks for bread or fish. But, but what if a child, either through ignorance or stupidity, actually says, give me a stone, give me a snake? A loving parent doesn't grant that request. And the reality is that many of the requests that we make of God in prayer are metaphorical equivalents of stones and snakes. And oftentimes we're asking for things that we don't need or we can't use or won't use properly or will be harmful to us and to others. And God's response to such prayers is a very loving no. Because He's a good Father. And He only gives good gifts, not bad ones. And Jesus is helping us understand here who God is and what He expects so that we will make wise requests when we pray. And since He's talking about being judgmental, I also believe that implicit in these words, He's saying, don't be judgmental toward God when He says no to one of your requests. We can't get angry with God when He says no to an inappropriate request. And when it comes to dealing with other people, you and I can make lots and lots of inappropriate requests. We see somebody else mess up. And how do we pray? Maybe get them, Lord. We're in a contentious argument with someone. And we pray, Lord, show them I'm right. How do we deal with people rather than criticize them? See, I think a better way to pray is to say, Father, whatever the issue is, help me, show me how to come alongside that person. Show me how to demonstrate your love and your care and your concern. I think that kind of a prayer is a prayer that God would love to say yes to. And Jesus wraps up this part of his sermon by bringing us around and back to his starting point. In verse 2 he said, For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And that leads then, therefore, to verse 12. So do to others what you'd have them do to you. Those Those two sentences bookend this part of the message. Jesus wants us to know that all of this is about exercising good judgment in our relationships. And when we embrace this teaching wholeheartedly, we are far less likely to judge others. We're more likely to treat people graciously when they fail. We're more likely to come alongside them to help, knowing that at some other time the roles might be reversed and we might be the ones needing their help to conquer an issue in our lives. There's a lot of layers to this part of Jesus' sermon. There's a lot here to digest, a lot to pray over and ponder. I think one of the best ways for us to take this with us is to bring it down to a very practical level. And so I'd like you to take a moment and just think about that one person in your life who you are most likely to criticize. That one person in your life who you find it most easy to judge. I bet most of us can think of somebody.
I've got someone in mind for my life. So here's the question. The next time that we're tempted to speak up, can we listen to Jesus and reflect before we correct? When we feel ourselves tempted to judge that other person, let's instead take that moment for some wise reflection and let's deal with our own issues so that we then can respond more wisely to the needs of that other individual. And at every step of the way, let's make wise requests of God, asking us, asking Him to help us navigate that relationship so that we're more caring and less judgmental. And as we learn to do that in that one relationship that pushes our buttons, then maybe that can spread to all of our relationships. Let's embrace this teaching from Jesus. So we will be known as people who treat others the way that we ourselves would want to be treated.